नामशिष्टमी राधाकुंडम गिरिबरम I had some some good number of my early days in the service of my Guru Maharaj were uh, took place here in Los Angeles so I have many f- fond memories of the Sankirtan uh, in Los Angeles and New Dwarka first couple of years actually I only spent a year and a half here before I was sent out to travel and preach and uh, shortly thereafter awarded sannyas. But in that time, Srila Prabhupada spent uh, quite a bit of time. He spent uh, three months, spring... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Three months in the spring and three months in the winter. Two years in a row. So those were very um, memorable days for me. And um, I thank those of you who invited me and who have come, come to listen, giving me this opportunity to again visit Los Angeles. So I would like to, I have been speaking from a recently published commentary of mine on Gopal Tapani Upanishad. As you may know, Prabhupada wrote a commentary on the Ishopanishad. Ishopanishad is the is the God Upanishad, but uh, Gopal Tapani is the natural sequel to that. It's the Upanishad about uh, Gopal Krishna. Just uh, as Prabhupada, when he began his mission, it was suggested to him that he name his society the International Society for God Consciousness. But he said, no, make it the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So, and again, sometimes he had to speak more generally. He commented on the Isopanishad, the God Upanishad, but following in in his uh, um, service, I've done a commentary on on the Gopal Tapani Upanishad. Becoming more specific is the idea. But at any rate, tonight I would like to speak, if you'll allow me, on Gita Upanishad, better known as Bhagavad Gita. 
And uh, I'd like to speak uh, briefly on the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita. The first chapter, two titles. The more recent title and the title to this chapter that all of the Gaudiya uh, charges who have commented on this before myself, uh, the title that they um, gave the first chapter is Sanya Darshan, or Observing the Armies on the Battlefield. Baudi Bijibushan, Sripad Vishwanachakruti Thakur, the original commentators on Bhagavad Gita in our lineage. Then in more uh, modern times, my Guru Maharaj, Jaisi Bhaktivedanta Swami, Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Mashiksha Guru, Bhaktivedanta Maharaj, and so many others also kept, uh, used this name. But there's a more ancient name to the chapter, and the famed and well-respected, um, deeply regarded Sridhar Swami, deeply regarded by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, a commentator of antiquity, uh, entitled the chapter uh, Vishada Yoga and others before him as well. So there are two names. And I would like to speak about this chapter with regard to that title, Vishada Yoga. Yoga means yoga of despair or the, the discipline of despair, the knowledge of despair. Yoga means discipline. Yoga means knowledge. So uh, ironically or I should say more mystically, which is more the nature of reality than anything else, um, there's hope in despair. It is said that um, sweetest tales uh, speak of saddest times. In fact, the whole of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a product of despair. It's arising out of despair and an existential crisis. Sri Krishna Bhagwan is Rasraj. He is the uh, supreme enjoyer. In Gita, later on, in fourth chapter, he 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 mentions this when he says, "Jajatamam prapadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaham mamavartmanuvartante manushapartha sarvasu." He say, here he's saying, I am Rasaraj. It means literally everyone, how the people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So all possibility for tasting and relishing love is found in me. But as you may know, some have taken up this challenge. And the result of that in effect, really, is the entire uh, pastoral lila of Brajananda Krishna, Gopal Krishna, where the absolute truth becomes uh, a plaything in the hands of his devotees. That dimension, that realm, that plane of experience where God is loved so much that the only thing that he has to give in return for the love to meet his own 
to live up to his own statement, is himself, he is completely purchased. Ami Purnananda, he says. I am the supreme bliss, Purnatattva, supreme truth. But Radhikar Prem Unumata. The Prem, the love of Radha, makes me mad. Makes the ground underneath my feet shake. I lose my balance. Seeing the nature of that love, Radha's love for him, Sri Krishna underwent an existential crisis. I have said clearly, and most everyone accepts it, that I am Rasaraj. I am the, the king of love. There is nothing about love that I don't know. But I see something now in Radha that I have no experience of. So this, as I say, is an existential crisis in the absolute despair. What is my position? And all of Gaudiya Vaishnavism arises out of this. From this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu descends, from this moment of despair, and what hope there is for all of us <laughs> in the despair of the absolute. His crisis has become a great opportunity for us. So with regard to Gita, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, of course, here is on the battlefield, part the Sarati, and Arjuna is undergoing a existential crisis as well. He's a great warrior. But the opportunity for battle that has come before him is something different than his, he has experienced thus far. So here in this chapter, um, just before Arjun's uh, crisis is uh, uh, brought out, he speaks for the first time. This is, in a sense, the beginning of the Gita. There are many beginnings and many ends. Hmm? This is the beginning in one sense. The main uh, players, Krishna, and Arjun will speak in verses 21 and 23, 21 through 23, Arjuna, and then Krishna, 24 and 25. So over five verses. And in these five verses, in the first chapter, well, the essence of Bhagavad Gita is found. The highest reach of uh, our ideal, the zenith of theism, is brought out and the lowest um, step in our journey to reach there as well. So nicely placed, juxtapositioned. This is very um, telling and very, very appropriate. We should know, Bhagavad Gita tells us, what is our ideal, where we are going, if you listen to anybody, any spiritual teacher, you should ask the questions, two, two questions. What is, sir, madam, what is your sadhana and what is the sadhya? What is the means, the practice, 
and what is the perfection that such practice will bring about. So we should know what is the goal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And if we know it, we understand it theoretically, that is one thing. Then we also know, have to know how to go there. And to, to know how to go there, we have to know where we are on the path. Just like when you go into the mall and there's a map, and you find a store that you want, it's over here, up on the balcony, way at the end. And then it says, and you are here, way at the other end, at the, at the entrance only. And there are many twists and turns. So we should know the goal, and we should know the means. And here they are nicely uh, couched together in that the, much as the ideal in a general sense is given, and the first step to take. What, what, is, the, what is the most uh, pertinent to us in terms of our immediate uh, uh, progress to approach and attain that goal? So first chapter is not something to skip over. When I was younger, we used to sell many of these Bhagavad Gita's to people. I, I wasn't uh, accustomed to doing this, but a number of my godbrothers and god sisters, uh, out of out of concern, wanting the uh, uh, the purchaser of the book to uh, get something from it, often instructed them to skip over the first chapter. A lot of names and terminology and so forth, and you might get bogged down there. So just go on to the second chapter. And this is where it really picks up. Later on, when you've really understood what it's about, you can go and regroup and understand the setting also in, in the first chapter. But this is not a good idea. Vyas did not write the first chapter just, just to skip over. Once Prabhupada, we were sitting in, in Nudwarka, and um, he would give a, a class from Bhagwat, Srimad Bhagwat every morning. And so one, he asked for the book, and uh, the book, the devotee that was supposed to bring the book, his assistant forgot it, so one of the devotees passed his book up through the crowd, and Prabhupada took the book and opened it up, and he looked, and he saw that there was some underlining, highlighting. He became very upset. He said, what is this? Whose book is this? Well, and that devotee volunteered, is my book. Why you have crossed out so many things? <laughs> he was not familiar with the system of, of highlighting. So many things you have crossed out. So we had to explain, no, he's highlighted. Afterwards, I volunteered the idea that if you read the book, then carefully, eventually, the whole thing will be dipped in ink. It will be all highlighted. Such is the nature of these books. If we read according to our own eligibility and capacity, uh, eligibility for service, then certain verses will stick out to us. We, we were young brahmacharis here in, in Los Angeles, uh, some of us, and uh, brahmacharinis, and householders as well, and we would read the Gita and then select verses and maybe make cards of what were the important verses to remember and, and study them. But these are the verses that were important to us relative to our uh, development, our progress. They're all important. Prabhupada used to say himself, every word used to compel us. But every word 
Yasmin Prati Shlokam Avadhavati Upi. Every shloka, Bhagavatam itself says, Nardulvyas. Prabhupada would say, extend it, every word. And then what would he say? What would he say further? Even if they just touch the book. We used to think like that. If I just touch him with the book. Here, hold this book. Hmm? That was my part of my, my method. I thought if I get them to hold on to the book while I talk about it, I'm 50% of the way there. They'll be holding Bhagavad Gita or Simon Bhagavat. What an auspicious opportunity for them in their eternal material sojourn. Beginning of the end. So, don't skip over the first chapter. No, it's very important. Very important. And here, as I say, in these five verses, the very essence of the, um, the whole text, in one sense, is found. So let's, let us read the verses. Arjuna Vacha. So Arjuna says, Senayor uvayor madhye ratam me Yavad etan rikshayam yuddhok kamana vastitan karmaya sahayuddhavyam asmin rana samudhyame yutsyamanam avikshayam yate ta samagataha tataras tasya durbudher yudhe priya chikeshava. Famous section of the Gita should not, as I say, be skipped over. Arjun says, He's talking to, to Bhagwan Achuta. Achuta means infallible. This is not the way to talk to someone who's infallible. We are all fallible. If we meet someone who is infallible, it would be unbecoming to give him orders. Do this, do that. But that is precisely what Arjuna is doing here. Senayoru bhayo madhye ratamstapaya mechuta. He says, O infallible one, uh, take the, my chariot and drive it up and let me see between the two armies here and see who is assembled and who, who will be fighting, what I have to contend with. The spirit of this, the spirit of his uh, address is something like, Taxi! Mm-hmm. Taxi, rickshaw. This is Bhagwan he's talking to. Achyutta, the infallible one. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He toured in South India, preaching. In the vicinity of Sri Rangam, the great center of Sri Vaishnavism, where he stayed for some time during the Chaturmasya, rainy season. He met one uh, gentleman who the general public was making fun of. And the fellow was holding manuscript of Bhagavad Gita dear to his heart and crying. But people were making fun of him because he was illiterate. He could not read or write, but he was carrying Bhagavad Gita. And he had been instructed by his guru to read Bhagavad Gita 18 chapters every day. Surely most of you know the story. Mahabrabhu asked him, Why are you crying? Mahabrabhu could understand the nature of his crying, but he asked him, Why are you crying? What did he say? He referred to this verse, 
the picture of this verse. Krishna, he said, is the Supreme God. And he is driving the chariot of Arjuna. The chariot driver is like I say, like a chauffeur. And taking orders from Arjuna. Turn here, turn there. This is amazing. When I think of this, I, that brings tears to my eyes. What did Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Dev say? You are the true knower of Bhagavad Gita. You have understood Bhagavad Gita. So, what is Bhagavad Gita about? Yes, it is the Bhagavad Gita. It is the song, Gita, of Bhagavan, of God. But ultimately, God is a singer. He's a musician, a dancer, a flute player. Flute is said sometimes to be the most natural instrument. Voice is said to be the most perfect instrument. And the immediate, most uh, instrumentally speaking, extension of the voice is the flute. Krishna is well known for playing the flute. So singing, playing the flute, Bhagavad Gita ends with what? Sarva Dharman Purityajama Mekam Sharanam Braja. The great Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur used to call this verse the flute sound of Krishna, the clarion call of Krishna. Why is he playing that flute? Who is he singing for? He is under the uh, thrall, under the influence of the love of his devotees and Radha's love in particular. In one sense, he has no life of his own under the influence of that love. In another sense, that love is what has brought Brahman to life. Prabhupada used to say that Krishna standing alone is not so particularly, not particularly attractive. But when he's standing next to Radharani, then he becomes very attractive. This is actually Srimad Bhagavatam. Surrounded by Shakti, energized by his Shakti, Brahman's life has meaning. It becomes fun. It becomes joyful in the full sense of the term. By the Shakti of Bhagwan, we will know about Bhagwan. It's very practical. Just like I'm a person and I have power, energy. You may know me as a person, but you will know me best if you know my energy, my Shakti, by which I do things. Without power, I cannot do anything. If I cannot do anything, who will want to know me? Even if I am a person, who will care about me? He does nothing. <laughs> but if he does so many things, wonderful things, by that which a person, that which a person, a person is known better by what he or she does. And that power to do is his or her Shakti. So God is known by his Shakti. He shines brightly in relation to his Shakti. Another time Prabhupada said that uh, we asked him because all of his deities were named such that Radha Govinda, Radha Gupinath, Radha Madan Mohan, Radha's name comes first. But in Chicago he named the deities Kishore Kishori. Kishore came first and Kishori second. So we asked him, he said, oh, save the best for the last.
<laughs> so, this is very much central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, this idea. What? And here it is in Gita, that God is conquered by love. The idea being that this book is a song of God, but God is singing himself a love song. Hmm? He's in love. He is. This God has fallen in love. Again, this is existential problem <laughs> for the Absolute. Hmm? Love is a fallen condition. We lose our balance in love and reason is retired. Love knows no reason. That's a problem on this plane. But there it is perfection. Therefore, Mahaprabhu emphasized Gyan Shunya Bhakti, Gyan Shunya Bhakti. That kind of bhakti, that kind of love, in which the heart comes out so much that knowledge is retired, after all, is a burden to know. It may be helpful to a point, yes, knowledge will set you free, it is said. Many of the universities, they have that inscribed. It's true, but to a, to a point. So far our intellectual capacity goes, basically it is uh, counterfeit currency for purchasing real estate in, in the country of love. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use our intelligence. It should be used to its fullest. And if we apply it fully, we will know its limitations and engage in transrational activities like hearing and chanting. They're not irrational, but they're not intellectual exercises. They're exercises of the heart. We talked last night about sadhana. It is an exercise of the heart. Somehow we have to position ourselves such that the heart will come out. And in Braj Lila, this is what we find. The heart, in the Lila of Krishna, in Vrindavan's pastoral Lila, the heart of the devotees has fully come out. Homeland of the heart. Heart, when we move in the homeland of the heart, uh, then there is no trepidation. When we move based on um, intellect, then we're proceeding with caution. There may be some reason for caution, that's true to a point. But to proceed with caution forever, that, that will never satisfy us. And caution, too much caution, then we will become victims of the adage, he who hesitates is lost. Here is an interesting, uh, relative to this text, Krishna, Arjuna is exercising some caution and discretion when he asks Krishna to draw the chariot up that I can see who I have to contend with. So it's wise to see what if you're going to involve yourself, for example, in a spiritual path, what's involved to assess what, 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 uh, what, it will re what will be required, what may be the obstacles, what if we become obsessed with assessment only, then the nature of that uh, thing that we call the mind and intellect is such that it can turn anything around. If you take any topic and you think about it enough, you can find reason to justify the very opposite of what you initially started out with. Therefore, it is said, Tarko Apartishtanat. By mere exercise of the brain, you go nowhere. If you exercise it in relation to the idea of going beyond its limitations, that will, be, that will have some value. What happened to Arjuna? He exercised like this, but he went too far. He looked too close. 
What did he find? The enemies with whom I have to contend. Oh, they don't look like enemies. They're my friends, my relatives. I can't fight. His existential crisis began. So we should use our intellect. We should proceed with some caution. But we have to also consider, as I said, he who hesitates is lost, also comes into view at some point. Just like the idea of finding a guru, that is a good idea and it's a popular thing these days, or maybe it's not so popular. People think, I shouldn't find a guru, I should proceed with such caution and trepidation in this regard. But we should be careful, because um, the way of finding a guru is not simply through intellectual exercise. Gopal Tapani, what is the beginning? Invocation, it is mentioned. Gurave Bodhisakshine, Shruti Devi says, Gurave Bodhisakshine, that Krishna is the witness, the guru, the witness of the intellect. It means in one sense, not who is witnessed by the intellect. He is the witness of the intellect. Gurave Bodhisakshine, in the form of the guru, he comes from inside to outside, Mahanta Guru. And he's the witness of the intellect. That means he's not to be validated. He will not be validated, his position, merely by intellect. But in that form, Krishna gives a kind of divine intellect by which he can be known, can be understood. Many people think that Prabhupada was a great guru, and they're right. But when I joined him, he didn't have 60 books and 200 temples and uh, uh, a huge, huge following behind him to make it obvious. We had to use our sincerity, exercise our sincerity. And we had to have a necessity also. And all of you, all of us, our necessity is great. We see Arjun's necessity as we proceed. If we are honest, we have a great necessity for guidance. And uh, beyond the guidance of our intellect alone, how can intellect lead to love, which is the ideal of the Gita? It can lead to the shore. But by loving we will know. By thinking you will not know. We think, by thinking we will know, but no. Krishna consciousness is different than what it what you think it is. You should do it, not think about it. So it's a matter of, uh, from, as I say, uh, like to say, from up to down is how this process works. Prabhupada used to call it the descending process. Revelation. If there is perfect knowledge, how will we know it? We'll have to have a perfect means. We are experiencing imperfection. If we want perfect knowledge, which we do, by which we become perfectly happy. Of course, some people say there is no perfect knowledge, but they keep looking for it. So who's, who's crazy? That is the question. Those who say there is no perfect knowledge, but continue to look for it. In other words, they continue to try to be perfectly happy. 
And in order to move, to do anything, you need some knowledge. So to be happy, you need some knowledge. So everyone is striving for perfect happiness. That means they think there's perfect knowledge. Although some of them philosophize away the idea, they keep looking for it and call us crazy for saying that it exists in the first place. No, it does exist. But the means for acquiring that must be perfect, not imperfect. That means if there is perfect knowledge, it has the capacity to reveal itself to those steeped in imperfection. So the very principle of revelation comes to, comes to light. If God wants us to know, we can know. Otherwise not. Pujapad Sridharmarsh used to give a nice example. Let me share it with you. He said, just like sometimes there are UFO sightings. Some person sees a UFO, unidentified flying object. He runs in the house to tell the family a UFO landed in the backyard. They come out, there's nothing there. He's convinced he saw it, but everyone else says, well, lie down. <laughs> Take some water. <laughs> You'll feel better. He gets up. Still, he's convinced he saw it. No one, can, no one will listen to him. What does he do? He tries to go on with his life, but he's so much influenced by that experience. No one will listen to him, so he tries to forget about it and act normally, but he cannot. He's been touched by that. They put a chip in his head. Hmm? <laughs> so eventually he... He, he finds out there are some other people in distant places. They've seen this. They have clubs, gatherings, UFO temples, where they get together and they talk about their experience. And everybody else on the block thinks they're crazy. They write books about it. They're always trying to, te always trying to tell people about it. An experience that you cannot hold up and show anybody. They're shaking and trembling. Sometimes they're crying. Their hairs are standing on end. This way they're trying to convince people about their experience, but they cannot show it to anybody. How life is like this. The unidentified flying object. That's Krishna. Hmm. <laughs> somehow he's come into our life and touched us. And we've seen, we've seen. But very hard to convince anyone else. We have to find other people who have seen get together with them, form a group, and try to get on that mm, spacecraft, <laughs> to, take, to take that journey. Actually, the nature of the uh, transcendent experience, derived as it is from giving, by giving of ourself, this is love. Love means giving, not getting. As much as we attach the idea of getting to our love, then we're not involved in giving. A disciple of mine once asked me, Guru Maharaj, you're always talking about that giving is uh, getting and that more the giving is the getting. But I'm giving and I'm not getting. I said, well, that's because you're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not actually giving. You don't understand that. The, you, he said that you so always say that giving is the getting, but I'm not getting. 
I said, because you want to get, that is indicative of the fact that you're not, you don't understand what it means to give. To give means to give. <laughs> you understand? Give. It has nothing to do with getting. But the wonderful mystery of, uh, of this is that there is getting in this giving that is so substantial that it outweighs any getting, hmm? any overt getting, acquiring. Hmm? We are living our life as if we exist and we know that we exist to a point only, as if the fact of our existence is threatened and therefore we're adding things onto our life to make it more secure, that it will endure. Upanishads tell us what? In a basic sense, they sing to us, you, can, you, we exi you exist, you can know about it, you can know that you exist. And if you know the extent to which you exist, then you can know why you exist also. This is Sat, Chit, Ananda. We exist, Sat. We can know it, Chit. And there's a purpose for our existence. And what is that purpose? No purpose. This is very confusing religion. By gi giving is the getting, hope is in despair. Hmm? <laughs> the purpose of life is no purpose whatsoever. Lokavattu lilakaivalyam. The purpose of the world is simply the lila of God. Lokavattu lilakaivalyam. Vishnu's lila. What about the suffering? How can God make allow all this suffering? What is the answer? We would say, oh, it's all in the mind. <laughs> what kind of answer is that? <laughs> It isn't all in the mind. What kind of answer is that? It's the truth, actually. What is suffering for you is happiness for someone else. Think about it. What is suffering for anyone, someone else is enjoying as a result of that. If your body is decaying with leprosy, does that, that, what do you call it, some kind of virus or something, is thriving. Some animals dying, Vultures are circulating. It's a party. There's a party. <laughs> right down the road. It's a festival. Bring your friends. You see? This is, this is the reality. It's all a state of mind. It sounds a little harsh. And what kind of solution is that? People are hungry. They're, they're suffering. They're, they're starving. Yeah, and some people are getting a feast out of that also. It's all in the mind. Hmm? We don't stop there. We give a solution to go beyond the mind. To know the purpose of existence. And to know it means to know ultimately there is no purpose to this. It is the Lila of Bhagwan. We can attribute some purpose to it, some reason to it. Oh, so that you could be the savior. To be full in every respect, complete in all respects. But it would only go so far. What I mean to say to you by saying that life has no purpose, I mean to say that life is about love, and love transcends reason. Life is mystical. The mystery of life in a very basic sense is that by giving we get, and more, as I say, the giving is the getting. 
this is not reasonable. It's not reasonable, it's not rational that by giving you will get. But it's our everyday experience. If we give, we get. We get something. We cannot hold it up and show it to everybody. See what I got. But we got nonetheless. And we, begot, we became more whole by that. The more you, always, you give, which means the more you sacrifice your present sense of self, put it into the fire, illusory sense of self, this counterfeit currency for knowing senses, mind, intellect, the more you put it into the fire of sacrifice, that's called tapa. Tapa means austerity, it means discipline. It also means knowledge. You get knowledge from that. It's in a very, very um, basic, generic sense. This is true. If you restrict your senses from um, interacting with the sense, sense objects, if you close the door, from the busy world, is what I mean to say, for a little while, you become more peaceful. You, you, have to, you can think deeply then. If you restrict your senses from in, interacting with sense objects, your life, to that extent, becomes easier. The more you extend your sense of self through contact with sense objects, the more your sense of self becomes complicated and burdensome, the more needs you have. The more you restrict, the easier life becomes. And you learn, what is the knowledge you get in a very basic sense? You learn, I, I could live without that. Life's easier.